You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. so thankful that none of them walked away from the Lord, but it happens, particularly PK's pastor's kids. We hear about that all of the time. When they hit that place of having to make their own decision, when they stand at the crossroads in their life's experience, whether they're going to continue to walk on with the Lord or turn their back upon Him. And you think about all of the years that were invested in those children, instilling within them a godly heritage. You just hope and you pray and you trust that all of the energy spent will pay off. One of the greatest hopes of Christian parents is that their children will follow them in the faith. One of Christian parents' greatest fears is that their children will turn away from the faith. You do the best you can. You try to expose them to the truth of the gospel. You try to model what a walk with God looks like. Ultimately, though, it's up to them to how they're going to live their lives. As Pastor Mike's going to teach today, it's always been this way. You'll see this worked out in the lives of Jacob and Esau. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 25 as he begins his message, Our Birthright. found in verses 27 through 34. And before we go ahead and read that text of Scripture, in fact, I, the title of this message is Our Birthright. That is, our birthright as Christians. And that's what we're going to be talking about. But let me set this up for you before we even go ahead and read that text of Scripture. Fast forward in our series. Isaac and Rebekah are now and have become man and wife. Rebekah gave birth to two sons who are now young adults. So keep that in mind. The last time uh, we were gathered together, we talked about the servant going out into the world, the servant being a type of the Holy Spirit, looking for a bride for Abraham's son Isaac, who was a type of Christ. And so in that analogy, in that pageant that had been playing out, we talked about the similarities between the two. There are many similarities and analogies that are recorded and symbolism that are recorded for us in the book of Genesis. So we're fast-forwarding now some. And again, as I've mentioned, Isaac and Rebekah are now man and wife. Rebekah has already given birth to two sons who are now young adults. And so with that said, let's go ahead and pick up in our study now, beginning in verse 27. So Genesis chapter 25, beginning in verse 27. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, 
dwelling in tents. In other words, he was a homebody. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. And therefore his name was called Edom, or Red. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I am about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. And thus Esau despised his birthright. Father, we pray now that you bless the remainder of our time together and as we study your word, as we treat this text of scripture, God, help us to learn all of the lessons that are contained within it, all of the lessons that are served up for us here in this portion and section of your book of Genesis. Father, settle our hearts now. Father, help our minds not to wander. Lord, listen, we're a people who are needy. And Lord, I expect that even coming here, we were thinking about those needs, our responsibilities, our problems, our difficulties. But Father, I pray that those things wouldn't stand in the way of our receiving from you. In fact, I pray those needs, Lord, those problems would be addressed during this time as we study the Word. So tailor it to meet those needs. And Father, only you have the uncanny ability to be able to speak to one person in one way and another in another way. And So tailor this message, Lord, to that end. God, we thank you. Encourage those who need to be encouraged. Strengthen those who need to be strengthened. Challenge those who need to be challenged. Lord, flat out rebuke those who need to be rebuked. God, we thank you again. But more than anything else, we pray that we'd be able to see Jesus in this study. God, we thank you. Now settle our hearts. Help us to thoroughly enjoy the remainder of our time together. Lord, help us to feel very comfortable and at ease being here as we sit at your feet and learn of you. And then finally, God, let my words be your words. For we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So once again, this message, the title is Our Birthright. Now, at first glance of our text, I would agree it is hard to grasp the significance, the importance of its meaning. And with that said, that brings us to our first point. If you're taking notes, write this down. Birthrights and beans. What's the connection between the two? Birthrights and beans. Well, to understand this text fully, you have to put it alongside of another text of Scripture that is recorded for us in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, verses 15 through 17. So I'm going to ask you to turn there and then put a marker in that section of Scripture because we're going to come back to it at the conclusion of this message. There's a couple of things that I want to draw your attention to. So again, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 through 17. So to understand this text fully, as I've already mentioned, you have to put it alongside of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 through 17, where the writer is treating the subject of failing to continue to walk with God, to go on in our relationship with God. Okay, so with that said, let's go ahead and read that text of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 through 17. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness 
springing up, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Now notice verse 16, and this is significant. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. That's the connection between these two portions of Scripture. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. So what do we have here in Hebrews chapter 12? Well, basically, it's a stern word of caution concerning this Old Testament event. And so this brief reference to the life of Esau, then, serves as a warning that those who despise God's grace, who are indifferent towards it, are in danger of forever forfeiting the privilege of experiencing his blessing. And of course, I'm referring to the birthright. And I want you to think about it as it relates to you and to me. Let's bring this down to personal terms. The birthright that God has made available to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to define that for you in just a moment. Hang in there. But before we do that, let's take a closer look at these two brothers, who are actually twins. First of all, let's consider Esau. And according to our text of Scripture, this is the way that he's recommended to us. He was a man's man. He was the kind of a man that all of us, as men, would like to be able to identify with. He was a woodsman. He was a man of the outdoors. He was a hunter. He was strong. He was macho. He was cunning. So for those of us men, probably we would like to rather identify with Esau than we would Jacob, although Jacob as well had some admirable qualities. But you know how it is. The guys, they want to identify with the macho kind of a guy, someone who's strong, someone who's cunning. And also, Esau serves to be dad's, that is, Isaac's favorite son. Obviously, according to our text of Scripture, the reason why he was dad's favorite son, it had something to do with Isaac's taste for a wild game. Notice we are told that there in verse 28 of our text. Okay, so that's Esau. That's a snapshot of who Esau was. Now, let's consider Jacob, the other son. Jacob was of the ordinary kind. He was a homebody, as I've already suggested. He was someone who was extremely domestic. He was someone who was tied to his mother's apron strings. So that's who Jacob was. But anyway, one day, Esau had just come back from the hunt, is famished, and according to verse 30, he cries out, and he says, quick, feed me before I faint. And so Jacob responds, and he says, I'll feed you if you sell me your birthright. Okay, so that sort of sets the platform for this study. Now that brings us to our second point, and let's talk about that birthright. What was a part of the birthright? And let me also add that we don't have anything quite like this today. And to give us some background on the birthright culturally back then, in those days, I want to give you a couple of cross-references from the scripture. 
The first of which is in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 21 in verse 17. So Deuteronomy chapter 21 in verse 17. And this is what I want to draw your attention to more than anything else. The person who possessed the birthright received a double portion of his father's inheritance. So keep that in mind. But he shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife. If you look at this in context, I guess I should have set this up even in advance before I read it. This particular section in the book of Deuteronomy is addressing the birthright, but it has to do with someone, a husband, who has two wives. One wife he loves, and the other he doesn't. But it doesn't matter. The one who stood in line to inherit the birthright was the son who was the firstborn, who was the older of the sons. And it didn't matter whether he loved his wife or not. And I know that's a little confusing to some of you, but that's the way it was culturally back then. Polygamy was the practice of that day. Well, anyway, but he shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife as the firstborn. Why? Because he was the firstborn. By giving him a double portion of all that he has. For he is the beginning of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. Okay, so the point is, is that the firstborn, the oldest son that was born into a family, stood to receive a double portion of his father's inheritance. Okay, so you got that? So that was a part of the birthright. But then secondly, another cross-reference, and this one is found in 1 Chronicles in chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2. Actually, let's just read verse 1, because if we get into verse 2, it'll only confuse people. Now, the sons of Reuben, and by the way, Reuben was what? The firstborn of the 12 sons of Jacob. So now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, he was indeed the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that the genealogy is not listed according to the birthright. Now, the connotation here in 1 Chronicles in chapter 5 and verse 1 is that the birthright also carries along with it a spiritual responsibility, which was obviously forfeited by Reuben's actions. Well, how? How did it happen? Well, notice, he entered into an incestuous relationship. And because of his sin, he actually forfeited the birthright as it relates to being the spiritual head of his family. Okay, so then, trying to answer the question, what was the birthright all about? What did it look like? What was involved in it? Well, it involves both material and spiritual blessings. The firstborn received twice as much property as each of the other sons, and he also became the head of the family and the spiritual leader of his people. And here in Jacob's case, it also involved being in the line that was to produce the Messiah. And so then Jacob's desire, even though he went about it in the wrong way, was an honorable one. He just shouldn't have schemed to get it. In fact, all he needed to do was wait upon God. Because notice, he had already declared, that as God had already declared, the rights of the firstborn was his. Go back to Genesis chapter 25 and verse 23. 
This was something that was already sovereignly worked out by God. This was God's determination as it related to Jacob. And the Lord said to her, verse 23, chapter 25, two nations are in your womb. And by the way, Esau was the father of the what? The what? The Edomites. Okay. Two people shall be separated from your body. Jacob, of course, was the father of Israel. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And so there you have it, right there, okay? So God had already declared the rights of the firstborn was Jacob's. So Jacob sought a good thing then in a bad way. Yet he is to be commended for desiring the birthright and appreciating the honor of possessing it. Esau, in this respect, has failed. He thought so little of spiritual advantages. Think about it. And again, part of this birthright was being the spiritual head of the family and being a representative to his family in God's place. He thought so little of spiritual advantages that he was willing to forfeit it for a bowl of beans. Notice, go back to our text in verse 32. He expresses this sentiment by saying, what good is the birthright to me? And I'm kind of loosely paraphrasing here, but that's basically what he declares. So Jacob made him swear an oath, selling his birthright to him, and then he fed him. Now the next words in our text, let's go jump ahead to verse 34, are meant to be derogatory, distasteful, critical, as they describe Esau's crass, materialistic nature. Verse 34, let's read it once again. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils, then he ate and drank, mark those two words, he arose, went his way, and thus Esau despised his birthright. You see, eat, drink, and be merry was Esau's mantra. And that sums up Esau's character. That was his philosophy that allowed him to let spiritual matters slide. And I got to tell you something. I fear that this description is the same of many today, even within the church. And I would remind you here, before we even go on, that Esau was a believer. But unfortunately, this sort of attitude about the importance of spiritual things is absent in the lives of some people who claim to have taken the name of Christ. Think about this. Esau was a believer. He wasn't a Hebrew. Think about his background. Think about his heritage. He was Abraham's grandson. <laughs> For what that was worth, Abraham's grandson, the father of the faith, I mean, we've spent the last several months learning from this man the work that God had done in his life from the very beginning of God commissioning him and calling him out from his own father's house there in Ur, the land of the Chaldeans, and then bringing him into the land of Canaan and everything in between. We spent the last several months considering this man, the father of the faith. He was a giant in his generation. And so don't you think that it rubbed off on the other members of his family? You bet it did. So he had this heritage behind him. 
He was also the son of Isaac and Rebekah. So if anyone was born, raised with an abundance of spiritual advantages, certainly it was Esau. And yet, in spite of that, he sold it all for a mess of pottage, a bowl of beans, lentils, just as some do today in spite of their deep, prolonged exposure to Christianity. What happens in the life of a person who came through the church, who was brought by their mother and father, raised within the church? You know, I'm so glad. My wife and I raised five kids, and most of my kids, with the exception of my youngest daughter, Jessie, who is now living in Toronto, but she attends church up there. She attends one of the Calvaries up there, as well as another Bible teaching church close by where she lives, are all here in this fellowship. And I'm so thankful that none of them walked away from the Lord. But it happens, particularly PK's pastor's kids. We hear about that all of the time. When they hit that place of having to make their own decision, when they stand at the crossroads in their life's experience, whether they're going to continue to walk on with the Lord or turn their back upon Him. And you think about all of the years that were invested in those children, instilling within them a godly heritage. You just hope and you pray and you trust that all of the energy spent will pay off. I'm just so thankful that all of my children are here in this fellowship and are serving the Lord. But it does happen, unfortunately. And there are those that when they begin to be adults, they turn their backs upon God and they walk away. And so he sold it all for a mess of beans, just as some do today, in spite of their deep, prolonged exposure to Christianity. So let me ask you this question, and only you can answer this, because only you really knows what's going on in your own personal life. When you're away from the body, when you're alone with God, Let me ask you this question. Are you one of those people? Are you despising your birthright and what that birthright represents? Choosing instead the savory but passing pottage of the world and what the world has to offer? Listen, if you have not fully committed your life to Jesus Christ and are not going on with Him to maturity with all of the wonderful resources that he's made available to us for that occupation. And I love that about Christianity. That's the thing that separates Christianity from all religions, which are not really true religions at all, which define for us God's ideal and then leaves it to the worshiper to work it out for himself. Whereas Christianity does reveal to us God's divine ideal, as is recorded in the Bible, but then he gives to us the Holy Spirit, the dynamic for Christian living. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long been listening to Pastor Mike Fenizio here on In My Father's House. He is working his way through the book of Genesis. If you were blessed by today's message and want to pass along the blessing, you can find a link to give to the ministry on our website, harvestnyc.org. We have so much available to you there, including many audio messages and links to streamed messages. 
We stream every Sunday and Thursday service. Once again, that's harvestnyc.org. Another way to pass along the blessing is to share the messages with someone else. Maybe God put someone on your heart today as you listened. You can send them the links as well. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan, New York City. We're easy to find, with access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. But if you're from another part of the country or world, we'd love to know. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. There is nothing more beautiful than the global body of Christ. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to our podcast for daily doses of the word. Just go to Spotify and search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. And then just click follow. Well, we have filled our time for today. Come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than In My Father's House with you. 